Good morning, fellowship. Oh man, that was that was all right. That was all right. That was all right. You know, at um, still getting over that that Topeka Fourth of July experience. Um, these boys go hard for some fireworks around here. I mean, man. So, but yeah, it was it was good and and. Got some good ribs in us, and, and we were doing good. And so we're excited to be here this morning. And um, we want to start off with just an update. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we were gathering supplies to send down to some of the immigrant children down on the border of Texas. And so uh, us and a couple other people in the city were able to partner together on that. And in just two weeks, we were able to raise about 700 pounds worth of essentials to send down. And so, yeah. And so that's just a a great thing to be a part of and to be used for. But uh, there's going to be more coming and more information on how we can be involved with helping those that are living on the margins of our society. Um, And I I feel like God is calling us to more than just an event, more than just a a drop-off thing, but, but a relationship with people. And so that's important. So stay tuned for how that looks. Um, if this is your first time visiting us here at Fellowship High Crest, I want to let you know that uh, today while I'm speaking, you'll see some page numbers on the screen. And those page numbers will correlate with the blue Bibles that you find uh, in your seat. If you don't have a Bible, then please take that one and use it uh, and as our gift to you. If you don't have one that's easy to read, then please take that one and, and have it as a gift from us to you. And if you know someone who doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have one that's easy to read, please take that that one and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. Uh, Today, we'll be finishing out our message series on the book of 1 Peter. And so uh, this book is a short book, about 105 verses, but it gives a great summation of the the everyday Christian life and how that looks to be lived out. Our focal passage for today is found on uh, page 740, and it's 1 Peter 3.8. Uh, through 514. And so, but I, today, as I read to start off, I'm going to actually start in chapter 4 at verse 12. So if you can be finding your place there, that's where we're going to start. Uh, chapter 4, verse 12. And so here's what it says there Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also... If the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to the godless sinner? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right 
Entrust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. This is God's word. You know, washing clothes is one of those rites of passage for everyone as they grow up. You know, that, that first time you're doing laundry on your own, you, you put the detergent in, you, you put your clothes in, you, you put your quarters in. I don't know how many of y'all had that experience of being at that laundromat, but you put your quarters in and, and you, you hope it all comes out right. You hope it all comes out in the wash, so to speak. But sometimes when it comes out, it, 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 you come out with pink socks. Right. Because in that first time you were doing laundry, you didn't make sure to check that that uh, there was no clothes left in there. And you didn't see that red sock that the guy that was doing clothes before you left in the washer before you. And therefore, when your clothes came out, they all came out stained. Maybe as a mother, you was trying to get this load in. And you forgot to check your teenage daughter's pockets for lipstick. Maybe, you know, as a mother, you got some toddlers running around. You're trying to get a couple of loads in real quick and, and between other things that you were doing around and you forgot to check your toddler's pockets for crayons. Right. And, and, and all these things happening. And, and maybe your husband was trying to be helpful and he was trying to make sure he sorted the clothes right this time. And so there would be no conflict and I don't know if y'all know anything about that. And, and so he was trying to make sure there was no conflict. And so he threw um, his, his grease rag from um, fixing the car in the hamper with the good towels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the good sheets. You know, you don't even wipe your hands on the good towels, right? They just for looking at. Right? Right? That's like the good comforter is just for when companies going to walk through the room. But then you take it off before they get in there. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. And so he threw it in the hamper. And then when your clothes come out, this, this happens, right? The truth is, is things happen. And yes, it all comes out in the wash, but not how we planned all the time. The larger question is, how do we deal when the wash of life gives us pink socks? How do we deal? Being a Christian and living life on the margins will come with some troubles. It will come with some trials. And, and anyone who has ever opened the washer and found all their clothes stained knows what it's like to feel like they just want to give up. Think about it. You were trying to do the mature thing. Yes, you could have just turned those underwear inside out. Yes, you could have just went and bought some more underwear. But you were trying to do the mature thing and do laundry, and this is what happened to you. This is what happened to you. Over the past several weeks, you know, we've been going through this message series of this book. That, and we said that, hey, the New Testament is the set of missionary documents written to missionary situations. It's written about how to live this everyday Christian life. And as you live this everyday Christian life, uh, you are sure to encounter some trials. And why is that? You can be sure to encounter trials because just like anyone who ever does laundry is ensured to come across a laundry mishap. Those who follow Christ are sure to endure suffering. The question is, how do we handle suffering? 
The reason Peter is writing the people that he's writing is because he's telling them that it's possible not to just survive suffering, but to actually use suffering. Not to just get through suffering, but to actually use suffering. Handle can sound like trying to avoid it, like trying to get through it like a breeze. Handling suffering does not mean that you avoid it, uh, that there's no pain. It does not mean uh, any of that. What it does mean is that a Christian whose heart is rightly aligned can actually use suffering to make them come out of the other side of it more developed and pure of heart. In other words, Peter needed this group to see that although Things were tough, that there was hope. Today, we'll look at how our hope changes the way we view and understand suffering and also how we respond to suffering. The first thing is hope changes our perception. Hope changes our perception. Peter starts our focal passage by saying this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. You you underline that, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it was revealed to all the world. Have you ever seen um, a a kid cry when they're told they, they need to get glasses or braces? Have you, have you ever seen them complain about the pain of braces? Have you ever seen them complain about how they'll look with glasses or braces? Have you ever um, heard their worries about what others will say to them or how others will, will treat them? See, it's, it's, if you've been on the outside of the situation, it's easy to say how you would respond. It's easy to say that, that considerably altering your physical appearance wouldn't affect you at all. It's easy to say that. In the same manner, it's easy to say how we would view our trials. See, but, but it's considerably easy, easier to tell someone to else to have hope when their child is laying in the hospital bed. It's considerably easier to tell somebody else to find their joy in Christ alone when they just found out that their spouse is cheating on them. It's considerably easier to tell someone else to trust in God for their provision when they've lost their job. The truth of the matter is we don't know. When we suffer, our faith is tested, and when our faith is tested, our perception is changed. Here's what I mean. Hebrews 11 and 1 describes faith like this. It says that faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. What suffering does is it correctly identifies what we have hoped in. The word hope means uh, what we are looking forward to, what we are trusting in. See, last week we stated that the end goal is this. The end goal is the king coming to live with his people. Those people are the church. And we said we model that by centering our lives around gospel and community. Now, it's easy in normal atmospheric conditions to say that our lives describe this, but Peter says that our fiery trials will prove us. Now, the New Living Translation that we're using this morning, it leaves out that word that's in the Greek to, to prove us. But, but here's what it says, that Peter is telling this group of people that the fire does two things. Fire does two things. 
fire in our life does two things. And the first one that it does is this. It, it proves what our real trusts are. It shows us what our real trusts are. Fire shows us that we don't live for God, that, that we live for our own experience. Whenever we have to choose between God and pleasure, God and comfort, God and popularity, God and status, God and money, that's when we're in the fire. Only then can we purify our loyalty and know that God comes first. Only in those moments, we can't sit here in nice times and good circumstances and say, Lord, I, I want to put you first. We can't put God first. We don't learn to put God first. We don't even know how to put God first until we're in the fire. How does this look? For instance, in 2015, a young man walked onto the campus of an Oregon community college. And he began to shoot people. Now, what takes this up or not is this. One of the survivors of that shooting said that, that he asked the people to stand up and state their religion, and he shot the Christians. See, that's being in the fire. See, it's easy for us to sit here in this auditorium today and say how we will respond in that moment, that I will stand up and I will say this, but we really don't know until we're in that moment. We really don't know until we're in the fire ourselves how we would respond. But it's not to always, it's not always to that degree. When we shake our fists and say, you know, I believe in God, but what use is it? I don't have this thing. I don't have that thing anymore. That's when we're in the fire. We're in the fire in those moments. We're not in the fire until something that we thought was just a nice thing, that we thought was just a nicety, that we just enjoyed having, gets taken away from us. And now we really see how much it really meant to us. That's when we're in the fire. That's when we're in the fire. Let me put it this way. A fiery trial is any situation in which obedience and trust in God will cost you something very, very dear. God is saying, now we'll see if if you're my assistant or I'm your assistant. Now we'll see if those things are the means and I'm the end or 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 are they the end and I'm the means. God is saying fire will prove where your trust are. Whenever it's hard to obey, whenever it's difficult to obey, whenever it's costly to obey, whenever it seems like suicide to obey, whenever it looks like obedience is going to lead to more loss, we're in the fire because finally we began to be separated from all the other things we're trusting in except for Christ. That's when we're in the fire. The second thing that fire do is fire will destroy the unimportant. Fire incinerates and destroys the unimportant. It shows what's really valuable. It's in the fire that we see the inadequacy of our false trust. When our expectation is firmly planted in Christ alone, it changes the lens through which we view life. It changes the way we view our money, our relationships, our work, ourselves. Look at what Peter tells this this group of people is a boot. He says, don't act if, it's, if this is something strange. Don't act as if this is something strange when you're going through trials, when you're suffering, when, when life is smacking you in the mouth repeatedly. Don't act as if this is something strange. Don't act new 
is the way we would say it today. Let me explain this. See, I used to wear glasses. And when I was getting ready to go full-time ministry, and I knew I was going to lose some of my benefits then, and so I wanted to cut down on my cost of living, so I went and had this thing done called LASIK. I went and had my, my eyes laser corrected and, and vision corrected. But here's the, here's the bonus thing that came with it. What they said is um, I had a lifetime adjustment. If, my, if I had new eyes and, and I got lifetime, why, why did I need lifetime adjustment if my eyes had been laser corrected? So I had to go in every year and, and get my vision checked to see if it was drifting from 2020. Why did I need to have that happen? Let's look at what Peter is saying here in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. Then here's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. I don't know if that scares you. It does me when I read it, because I don't like pain. What are they both trying to get across? Here's the deal. Everyone who follows Christ will regularly be put in situations where their loyalties are tested. If you're not being put in situations where your loyalties to Christ are tested on a regular basis, you ought to start asking some questions. If life is just comfortable and everything is going great, then you ought to start asking some questions. But if life is hitting you in the face, man, you you probably right on that thing. Why? Because it's easy for us to pick up functional guys to add to the gospel, to start trusting in things other than Christ and to place our hope into something more than a king living with his people. We regularly need our hearts realigned. We regularly need our sight adjusted. We regularly need our perception changed. And once we have allowed hope to change the way we see and understand the trials and things that we go through in life, then how do we respond? What are we actually supposed to do? That leads us to number two. Hope changes our prescription. See, as a guy, and especially when I was single, my remedy for any time I started feeling sick was just to start sipping on NyQuil and Benadryl. I mean... (laughs) That, that quill will get you right. I mean, push you where you need to be. I would just, just start drinking NyQuil and Benadryl to, to get it all cleared up. All right, that was my response. We weren't going to no doctor. We Come on, let's be real. All right? I grew up in the put some water on it stage. All right, you got hurt. Mom, I'm hurt. Put some water on it. And so, I mean, so it was one of those things, Right? But here's what I noticed, that, that, that night quilling away all my sickness didn't always work. Sometimes I had to go to the doctor and they had to write me a prescription. My response had to change. Our biblical aligned hope not only changes the way we see and understand the things that we go through in normal life, it should also change the way we respond to them. 
How we respond to the trials that we endure in life will determine whether we come out bitter or we come out stronger. Everything that you go through and how you respond to it will will determine if you're going to come out bitter or you come out stronger. It all depends on how we respond. And here are three things that our biblically aligned hope should change about the way we respond to the everyday trials that we encounter. And the first is found in verse 12. And here's what it says. It says, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised. That's the, this is essential. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a nicety. It's not a good tip. It is a command. Don't be surprised. If you read through the book of 1 Peter, you'll see that Peter never says don't grieve. He doesn't say that. He, yes, he says rejoice, but rejoice means rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. He is not saying be happy about suffering or about pain. He is not saying that a person that enjoys hardship and suffering and pain, he's not saying that's what it's supposed to be. He's saying rejoice because as a Christian, just as the sufferings of Christ gave him a name that is above every name, just as when he handled those sufferings in an obedient fashion, he was highly exalted and they led him to achieving his ultimate goal. You're in the same pattern. You're part of the same party. You're walking in the same shoes and you're supposed to rejoice because you're making progress. That's what he's saying. It doesn't say that a Christian is happy or even goes after pain. No, something's wrong with a person that that is happy in pain and goes after pain. Nothing like that at all. It's expected that you are Christ, expected that you are weak. He says, though, that you can't be surprised. You will not handle suffering if you're surprised, if you're saying, how could this happen to me? I'm a good person. I'm a Christian. I thought the Bible says that God loves us. Why is this happening? Why is my kid acting like this? Why did I lose my job? Why are things not coming together? Why are my plans always getting messed up? If you handle suffering like that, you won't make it. You won't make it. The surprise will get you. Grief will never destroy you. Surprise will. Grief and response, weeping in response to suffering will not hurt us, but surprise will. How can we overcome surprise? And just the way we've been talking about this morning, we have to understand that we have to think that what I'm trusting in and what I'm hoping for is really being tested. We have to think that my heart is being purified. I'm being separated from the things that are keeping me from totally hoping and depending upon Christ. I believe if we don't understand, we'll be shocked. And if we're shocked, it'll be too much for us to bear. Self-pity is surprise. Bitterness is surprise. It's not the grief. Jesus was always weeping. He was always crying. He was sweating blood there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't say, well, I'm just rejoicing in everything that God is doing in my life at this time. And and, and I know it's all going to work out for my good. That's not what he said at all. He was in the dust. He was weeping. He was saying, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. This is fully God, fully man, God of the universe. God, man, taking on flesh, saying my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death because of the things he was going through in life. He's not in denial. He's not limiting his emotions. That's not Christian. 
We don't prove how spiritually mature we are because we can limit all of our emotions. But he's not surprised because he knows what's coming. He knows how this works. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He knows God has a plan. He says, I don't know if I can handle it. What will sink us is not the grief. It's surprise. How will we get over surprise? By understanding the things that we've talked about today. So the first thing is we can't be surprised. The second way that um, our biblically aligned hope should change our response to the trials that we go through is obey. It's seen in verses 15 and 16 of our focal passage. It says this. It says this. If you're suffering not as a murderer, not as a thief, not as someone who's always in somebody else's business, the most important thing for us to do in the midst of suffering is to obey. It is easy to disobey When we go through troubles, when we go through troubles, it is very easy to stop praying. It's very easy to stop reading our Bible. It's very easy to stop being a part of the gospel community. It's very easy to stop giving. It's very easy to stop serving. I can't tell you how often I receive calls and texts from people saying, I've had a bad day, so I don't believe I should serve today. Who gets the glory in that? Not God. God steady brings me into situations where I'm amazed by the people that he surrounds me with. You know, uh, early on in, in Fellowship Highcrest history, one of our volunteers walked up to me, and, and she was talking about her story and where she's at, and she serves on one of our teams here, and she says, right now I'm dealing with brain cancer. There's not too many of us in here that are dealing with brain cancer in everyday life and all the struggles that go with it, and she still serves every time she's on rotation. It's very easy to stop serving people because we're absorbed in our own troubles. It's very easy to kind of brood on self-pity. It's very easy to turn our back on God. It's very easy to get into what we call escape sins, things that we know are wrong, but we do them because they offer this brief high and make us feel not as low as we are because we're feeling bad with whatever we're going through. Charles Spurgeon once said that in, in ounce of sin will hurt you far more than 10 million tons of suffering. Suffering metabolism just just turns us into a great heart, but sin hardens us. Sin sours us. Sin makes us more selfish. Stay put. Obey. Serve in spite of the things that you're going through in your life. And thirdly, Our gospel-aligned hope should cause us to trust our lives to God. Do you know what trust means? Here's what it means. It's found in verse 19. He says, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on. This is assuming that the people were already doing it when the trials hit. He said, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you. For he will never fail you. The word trust means to make a deposit. The word trust means to make a deposit. We only deposit ourselves in banks that are insured and in banks that we are, are sure of. Why can't we trust them? Why can't we say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but, but I trust you. Here's why. None of the other religions in the world have what we have. There's lots of wisdom in other religions, but none of them have what we have. None of them have a God who suffers. 
He suffered. None of them have a God who suffered. Even Judaism, our closest cousin as a religion, doesn't have this idea of a God who suffers. They struggle with that. Jesus Christ suffered socially everything we ever want to suffer. Rejection, loneliness. He suffered physically more than we can ever understand. He suffered spiritually. He experienced tremendous alienation and misery, uh, being cut off from God in ways that none of us have ever experienced. Here is a God, when you go to him and say, I'm suffering, here is the only God in any religion that can look at you and say, I understand. I know what you mean. The only one. All the other gods that they're depicted in other religions, not that they're really gods, but those who say that they're gods, they say what? You better be good. But here's what we have, Right? They don't even know. They don't know what it's like to be hurt. They don't know what it's like to be lonely. They don't know what it's like to be facing death. If you can't commit yourself to Jesus Christ and live the way he lived and seeing the way that he suffered, whom in this world can we trust? You? Are you going to trust yourself? Trust your life to him for he cares for you. Trust your life to him for he cares for you. Also notice that the lives in verse 19 is plural. Trusting our lives to Christ is a thing that is done in community. Yes, our decision to step across the line of faith is an individual one that we make. It is a personal one that we make. But facing the trials of life that we go through is something that is supposed to be done with the gospel community. We're not supposed to be walking into those things by ourselves. If you're here this morning and and you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that is the place for you to start. That's the place for you to start. You start by saying, alone, I'm not good enough. I can't put my trust in me. The other things that I've trusted have left me down, and now I'm putting all my hope and all my trust in Christ. He is my only means of a relationship with God. If you're here and you stepped over the line of faith, but you have not been baptized, then take that step. Going public with our faith shows another level of trust. If we don't trust God enough to get wet for him, then that's a pretty low level of trust. And that's what he asked us to do for him in baptism. And if you are here and you've stepped over the line of faith and you've gone public with your faith through baptism, then I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. In this world, we have these things called leeches. And leeches can be used for medical uses. But leeches can also suck all the lifeblood out of you. Make sure that the things in this world, the things that God allows us to enjoy, are being used to help heal you and help grow you and not suck the life out of you. Make sure the things that God has placed here rightly for you to enjoy are helping to heal and grow you and not suck the life blood out of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.
We thank you for this message that you gave Peter. The sin to these people that were living on the margins of society. Simply trying to be obedient, struggling with the things they were encountering on daily life. And, and wondering if they were on the right path because of all the, the muck and the mire that they were facing in every day. Father, help reassure our hearts that the things we go through is not something strange. But it's a part of your divine plan. That you have a plan for us. That we could cast our cares on you because you care for us. Father, if there's someone here today that's struggling, that they don't know you, they're wondering, they, they've been trying to work on their own. They've been trying to be good enough. They've been trying to do enough good deeds. They've been trying to attend enough services, hoping that they would gain your approval, help them to give up, help them to put all their trust, all their hope on your son, Jesus Christ, and know that through him and his finished work on the Christ, that cross, that they now can have a relationship with you. Enter their life through your Holy Spirit. Transform them from the inside out. Have them be different from this day going forth because they have known you through your son. Father, make us a group of people who would boldly go forth, who would stand the test and the trials that when the fire hits us in life, that it proves our heart is for you. Father, in places where we've fallen, help us to have peace, that there's reconciliation, that there's grace, that there's mercy from you. Help us to get up and continue to walk and follow you. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. In your darling son Jesus' name, amen.